The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church, taken from the series Ecclesiastes, Finding Meaning in Life. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, if you would do us a favor, fill out one of those guest cards. We're going to make a little money this week and sell your information, uh, your email address, all that stuff. Uh, it's at a premium right now. It's an election year. Uh, I'm just kidding. We don't do anything weird with that. We just want to get a dialogue started with you, a conversation going, and uh, get some information uh, to you about the church. So if you've got your Bible this morning, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you got your note sheets and you saw, um, we're going to be talking this morning lessons from the rocking chair. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to I want to pray for our, I guess, our community, really, because over the last couple weeks, it seems like tragedy has been too much of a reality. I attended the funeral on Thursday for Samantha DeGear, and uh, we have a lot of first responders in our church community that responded in that situation. Uh, we have family members in our church who are ministering in that. Our CPR team um, engaged with with them uh, and the family this week. And I just want to say thank you publicly to El Paseo Restaurant. The church, we were going to supply the meal Friday night, and uh, the owner of El Paseo Restaurant stepped up and said, hey, let us cater it for them. So I don't know where you're planning to go to eat uh, after church, but go to El Paseo and uh, tell them the creek is grateful and have some tortilla chips and salsa and uh, fajitas and all the fun stuff. But also, just outside of that, I was speaking with one of our first responders in our church community this morning, and over the last seven days, there's been four drowning deaths of toddlers, and um, tragedy's too real. Uh, Let me just say this, parents. um, Keep an eye on your kids by the pool. I know it's hot. I know there's always a lot going on, but keep an eye on your kids. You never know. I mean, life is just fragile and frail. And uh, so this morning, we're going to continue in Ecclesiastes. So if you got your Bible, go to chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours. Uh, But we got the rocking chair this morning because uh, I think we're seeing a transition in the book of Ecclesiastes where uh, Solomon is kind of coming to the end of his life and there's some reflection that's taking place. And uh, I call this lessons from the rocking chair because this is like sitting down with granddaddy and uh, just getting, having a conversation. I remember when I was a kid and would hang out with my grandfather, sitting and talking wasn't really enjoyable. I mean, think about it. When you were a kid, you don't want to sit and talk. You want to play. I mean, my grandparents had a fun house to, to play in and they had a big yard, a major garden this time of year growing up. My grandfather's garden would be ready, and we'd be running through it. We'd be playing hide-and-seek in the corn. So I guess we were children of the corn. I'm just kidding. Uh, But tomatoes, ah, the tomatoes. You could go pick it off of the vine. That's when you didn't care about pesticides and stuff, you know. You just picked a tomato off the vine and ate it, and juice is running down your face. That's when a tomato tasted like a real tomato. But my uh, the last visit my grandfather made to Texas... uh, I sat with him at the kitchen table for a little bit and just uh, got to have some conversation. And I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't, I didn't engage a lot in the conversation. It was more him just talking. And I think there's great value 
and us just pulling up a rocking chair and sitting and listening to wisdom. Uh, I think that uh, as, as we grow older in life, we gain that wisdom. I think some of us are at places now where we wish we had that wisdom. Uh, so I, I, I want to kind of pull up here with Solomon in chapter 7 and get some of these lessons from the rocking chair and, and really just dive in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about each verse. I'm going to stand up because people in the back going, is Matt up there or not? And then the, the cafe, the coffee bar, and plus I'll go to sleep. It's uh, about to be Sunday afternoon, and nap on Sunday afternoon is the best. I don't know why. It's just, ah, eat a good lunch and then have that mush time where you've, you're, you're watching TV, but you're in a vegetative state. And then you wake up a couple hours later to Heather going, are you alive? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you got to get up, Matt. You're not going to go to sleep tonight. And I go, oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will. I mean, I go into a, a TV and food-induced coma on Sunday afternoon. So we're going we're gonna to dive in and get some lessons from Solomon. Solomon's the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. So he's in a category all by himself. But Solomon, wisest man on the, on the face of the earth. And God asked him, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you everything. Now, don't take theologically from that that God is like a genie in a lamp and he'll give you anything you want. That's just how it happened with Solomon. He said, ask for it. He said, God, I want wisdom to lead your people. And he said, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you the things you didn't ask for. So I know you're probably thinking, okay, what do I ask for God so he's going to give me that and everything else, you know? Don't, don't play those games with God. You'll be disappointed and God will still be God. But Solomon is wise and he's, it's almost like he sits in the rocking chair and he's just like, pull up a seat, son, and, and I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to give you some information that, that only a long life and a life steeped in wisdom can provide. And man, what an opportunity we have for that. Uh, I don't know what your situation with your grandparents are like, but, but my grandfather, very wise man. He's also very funny. Uh, some of you have met him. His last visit, we sat around the table, but also his last visit, he interrupted a church service. And uh, uh, it, was, it was quite funny, you know. And it was funny at the time. You know those things that take time to be funny? This wasn't one of those. It was funny at the time. Uh, he was sitting in the back. I'm preaching, man. I think I'm just, I mean, spits, flying, everybody's sweating. People are getting ready to jump up and say, I'm ready to go to heaven now. I don't, I'm just, that's how I imagine it, okay? I mean, I'm preaching the best message that the earth has ever heard. I mean, you know, I mean, angels are behind me going, yeah, yeah. And he, all of a sudden, I hear my grandfather going, what's he going on about? <laughs> then humility kicks in, right? I love my grandfather and, and the wisdom that he gets. Um, I don't know what your relationship is with your grandfather's like. I hope it is like that. Uh, I know not everybody has that ability, but uh, we have the ability to kind of sit up here with Solomon and get some grandfatherly advice and, uh, and uh, from God, our Father. So uh, we're just going to dive in. I'm going to give you some commentary on it. And uh, these are those uh, short but sweet nuggets of wisdom. These are kind of like pro- Proverbs. Uh, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and this is kind of where there's a transition where he kind of makes some, some proverbial statements that, that are really good. Here's my hope as we go through this. You don't just go, oh, that's good advice, because that's what I would do. I would sit with my grandfather, and he would tell me these things, and even my father and my mother, they'll tell you these things growing up, and you're like, yeah, that's good. That's good for you. 
You know, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, it's, that's good. It's your thing, but I'm going to do mine. And then you're like, why didn't I listen to that? Why I mean, the older I get, the smarter my parents were, honestly. And, and the older I get, I think my kids are starting to realize he's not really stupid after all. So we're just going to get into these. My hope is that, that you let these work on you. I'm just, I'm, we're going to teach it, but you got to wrestle with it after you leave here. And so uh, that's my hope for you. So verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I wish we were in a different book right now because like I said, tragedy has been too much of a reality and, and Solomon's, he keeps going on to this death thing and I don't like that, but you know, it's forcing me uh, to really grow and what Solomon's saying here, fine name is better than fine perfume. It's actually a Hebrew word play because name and perfume or cologne is just one letter difference. And what he's saying is like, your, your name needs to be sweet. Your name, a good name is better than a good perfume because you can't cover up your name with perfume. Now, guys, I don't know if you like me. In junior high, you discovered this thing called Brut by Fabergé. For a 13-year-old boy, it was beautiful, you know. I don't have to shower. I got brute. You know what I mean? It's right in that transition of time where you're supposed to shower as a teenage boy and hormones and smells start happening. You need to shower every day, but you've got brute, right? Came in a plastic bottle. That, that or Old Spice or Stetson. You got into something. You know what I'm talking about. And Solomon's like, you can't cover up your name with perfume. You can't do it. I, I was reading that there's three names that you get in life. One that your mom and dad gives you. One that your friends call you, and then the one you earn. And uh, my mom and dad named me Matthew Patrick Oxley. And if I hear that said, I know trouble is a coming, okay? I, I, if, even if Heather says my middle name, I have that selective hearing. I don't want to go because I'm in trouble. I, I left a, something's wrong. And then my best friend I've known for years, uh, you, a lot of you have met him. He's one of my mentors and pastor in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. The first time I met him, uh, gave me this nickname. And, and he remembers names by coming up with some catchy nickname for you. The first time he met me, he said, I'm going to call you Mattress. Is that okay? <laughs> I was like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't earn that name, just, just in case you're wondering. That was just his way of associating Matt. So uh, for their church, I'm on their email address. Every week I get an email from their church that says, hello, mattress, here's what's going on at Mosaic. I'm like, you're a jerk. I really, and I can't think, I'm not smart enough to come up with a name that he hates because I, I'm just not that good. So I endure it. So he calls me mattress. And I realize by putting that out there, I've just opened myself up. Uh, but there it is. And then there's the name that you earn. And that's the name you're remembered by. That when people think of you, it comes to their mind. And that's the characteristic that's associated with your name. Not the nickname or what your mom and dad give you. But that's the name you build for yourself. And Solomon is saying, look, a good name is better than a fine perfume. You can't, you can't buy a good name. You can't cover up a bad name with something that you think smells good. And then, then he goes on and he says, the day of death is better than the day of birth. He's not been, he's not been just, just sick here and saying that the day you die is better than the day you're born. He, what he's saying is, is there's a difference here that we've got to realize is happening. 
when, when you're born, the birth of a baby is all about potential, uh, the potential of life. When a child is born, they're born into all the opportunities, all the things that exist that they could do in life. The day of death is all about fulfillment. For those who are in Christ, it's all about fulfillment in Christ. The worst thing that we can die with is potential because that meant we left it all on. We, did, we left it on the table. We didn't do anything with it. And Solomon is saying, you know, your name is better than a good perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you're born because it's all about Jesus fulfilling everything in you that was broken. All of the longings that you have for that intimate relationship with God, to know him truly as your father, the all wisdom, all of these things, that when we die, Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And this is wisdom. This isn't just Solomon in his old age going, I can't wait for death to come. It's like the movie Grumpy Old Men, you know, where they start talking about, you know, their best friend died in the middle of the night in his sleep. That's the way I want to go, that lucky dog. That's not, Solomon's not in that frame of mind. He's given us some wisdom so that we begin to think about the life we live and what we do with that life. Because Solomon exhausted all these opportunities if I take party to the extreme, I mean, you think the backyard soirees that you have are, are a big deal. Solomon's like, I threw parties where, where 20,000 people would be drunk for a week. I could exhaust that to the end. And so we think these, all these things will bring fulfillment. Solomon's saying, no, think about the life you are building. Think about what you're doing. And then he says, sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Uh, what he's saying is, is it's, it's good for us to be confronted with the reality, the brevity, and gravity of life. He's not saying laughter is bad. The laughter that he's referring to in this is really a joking against death. I, I'm not comfortable with the idea of death. I, I mean, Paul says it's an enemy, and I, I believe him. I mean, I'm going to fight it. But I also understand that none of us get out of life alive. I mean, unless Jesus says, I'm going to come back now. You know, God says, go get him. Uh, we're going we're gonna to face death. And this week, Thursday morning, sitting in, in the sanctuary of a church for a funeral, I'm reminded that my life is a vapor. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. And the funeral we gathered for was for Samantha who was seven years old and we're not guaranteed seven years and we're not guaranteed 70 years and we understand that our life is brief and what Solomon is saying it's not just that we go hang out at the funeral home and go this is better than been at a party no he's saying it's good to be reminded and balance that to understand that our life is not ours and it's brief and if you, we joke about it and laugh about it, we're, most of the time we're afraid of it. And Solomon's like, the, you need to face this. That sorrow can be disappointment. It can be an unfulfillment that you feel God let you down. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians wrote this. Um, they said, I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry for your sorrow. He says, godly sorrow leads to repentance but worldly sorrow leads to death. 
what happens is when we're faced with the reality, as I'm sitting in that room on Thursday morning, reflecting on more than my mind could even process. And I'm reminded, and I'm in a, there's a state of sorrow that I think God is, is organizing. It led me to reflect on my life and say, God, I'm sorry for the moments I've wasted. God, I'm sorry for my selfishness that uh, desires what I want, not what you want. And that godly sorrow leads us to repentance, which ultimately leads us to life. A life that, that is, is better than our own. And so he's saying sorrow is better than laughter. Be a balance with this. Don't just dwell on death all the time. That's unhealthy. But understand there's a balance and a reality. And then, you know, he just goes on. He says, uh, verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 5. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. What Solomon is saying is rebuke is better than praise. Now, I, I, don't, I don't like this. I understand it. But if we surround ourselves with people who tell us how good we are all the time, that, that really, it, it's not going to get us anywhere. I mean, you can have people around you. I call it blowing smoke, you know. Like, I, I can surround myself with people that will tell me how good I am, but they're not going to be honest because I know I ain't that good. I know that they're lying to me. And sadly, we get into this cycle where we like hearing people lie to us because they're like, I want to feel good. And I want to surround myself with people that tell me how good I am all the time. What Solomon is saying here, he said, that's ridiculous. That's meaningless. And he says, like the thorns, the crackling thorns under the pot, what happens is there were trees were scarce in this area and they would gather up brush and thorns and hay and stubble for fuel for their fires. The problem is those don't burn hot enough or long enough to make a meal. Basically, what happens is if people tell us, if they just give us the praise all the time, and I'm, I, praise is good. I mean, we need, to, we need to be encouraging to each other and tell people, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. I, I, I like how you do this. I'm grateful for you for this. But we also have to be willing to take that honest rebuke. I mean, think of it as discipline. I mean, my grandparents didn't have a problem disciplining me. My parents didn't have a problem disciplining me. And I'm grateful for that. Now, I wasn't at the time. I mean, I, I grew up under the philosophy of pick your switch. I don't know if you have that same, had that same philosophy growing up. We lived on a farm. I get dropped off. Uh, Sundays was, I probably make it out a lot worse, but my mind remembers it this way. Sundays were hard days for me. I'd go to church, go to Sunday school, go to children's church, get kicked out of children's church sit in the pew with mom and dad, find some way to get in trouble there. We leave church, 30-minute ride home. I'm crying the whole way because I know what's coming. We get to the gate. The gate's probably half a mile, three-quarters of a mile from the house. Dropped off at the gate, pick your switch, see the house. And that whole way, I'm trying to find the deadest, driest stick I can. And the whole way up, you're like, <laughs> you know, you get, all that process was worse than the spanking, trust me. I mean, I'm telling you. But I, I appreciate that now. I didn't at the time. And, and that's Solomon's saying that the rebuke is better than praise because it's, it's meaning something. It's being open to correction. 
Is there someone in your life that is willing to speak truth to you? You know, Solomon also wrote in Proverbs that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Is there someone in your life that can say, I'm worried for you here. I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm seeing some indicators that problems are on the way. And do you have that? And can you take that rebuke? Not all of us do. I don't, I don't take correction well. I mean, I'm telling you, I can appreciate the discipline when I was a kid, but it's hard. All of us are this way. We don't take correction well. And Solomon is saying, man, what I've learned in my wise life is that you need to be open to that correction. You need to be willing to accept that because that's what's going to burn. And then takes a sip of his tea or I don't know, sits in the rocking chair and keeps on going. He says, extortion turns a wise man into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. What he's saying is the long haul is better than the shortcut. Too many times in life, we look for the shortest distance. I mean, when I put anything in my GPS, I want the shortest route. Get me to point A to point, from point A to point B as quick and short as possible. The problem is in the Metroplex with all the construction. You can pick the shortest route, but let me tell you, it might not be the fastest. I've learned some back ways, and Heather's like, why do you go these ways? Because it's faster. She goes, but you're driving all around like this. You see that traffic? I would, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would rather drive and take 10 minutes longer than to sit in traffic and end up taking five minutes short. That's just the way I roll, okay? I can't stand traffic. And Solomon's saying, be willing to endure the long haul. Think of it this way. Sometimes it's better to go uphill both ways if you want to get into granddaddy talk. Because what I've learned is sometimes those shortcuts become expensive detours. And it creates some hard lessons learned. Basically what Solomon's saying is, is don't be willing to bend the rules to get your way or bend the rules to make things go in your favor as quickly as possible. Uh, really, he's saying, watch your beginnings. What I've seen in relationships and, and so many issues in life that if you have a good start, you're going to go a lot better. My philosophy is that if, it's, if it doesn't start well, it's probably not going to end well. And so he's saying, watch your beginnings and be willing to get in there for the long haul. And then verse 9, he says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Uh, what he's saying here is we need to learn to respond instead of react. We're, we're a pretty hot-tempered society. Machines react. I mean, my car has a computer that reacts to road conditions. I have the ability to think and process so that I can respond in situations. Uh, here's, here's where I pray. I pray that as information comes in, okay, you hear it and it goes into the processing part of your brain. And there's that brief moment in time that gauges how you're going to respond. And you know, guys, ladies too, but guys, you know when you respond in the wrong way, when you just, boom, you just, blah, you know, stimulus, blah, you know, and you can see her face, and you're like, 
I need those words back. That's, <laughs> me too, all right? I'm not perfect. I pray, okay, God, give me that moment of clarity that when the stimulus comes in, that you'll press the pause button to say, what's really going on here? What's the best way to respond to this situation? What's the way that's going to be the, maybe not the shortest way out, but the best way out? Okay, that's it. Boom, now respond, right? And, and, and what Solomon is saying is don't just react. How many, how many relationships in our past have been destroyed because we reacted without all the information? I mean, there are, there are people in my past, sadly, that I'm no longer friends with because I reacted too quickly and didn't have all the information and reacted in a way that wasn't healthy and then had too much pride to go back and humble myself and apologize. Could, could easily justify what was really their problem too. They should apologize too. Solomon's saying, you know, learn to respond instead of react. Wise advice from a man with a wise life. Then verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. He's saying, today's better than yesterday. It really is. I mean, think about the good old days. When were the good old days, you know? Were they back in alt two, you know? Back in the 80s, 70s, 60s? When were the good old days? We tend to try to associate it with a, a time period in history when it's really a time period in our life. I started thinking about my good old days, and here's what it was. It was waking up on Saturday morning to cartoons where you could go and eat the sugar cereal without worried about what it's going to do to your system the rest of the day, where I didn't have to worry about paying the bills and watching a bank account. I mean, where I could respond to my parents when I said, can I get this? And they go, no, we don't have the money. And I would say, well, just write a check. Those were the good old days. Checks covered everything. Nowadays, it's we don't have the money. Well, just put it on your credit card. See? What I realized is the good old days for me, I think, and it's the same for most of us, was a time period in our life where someone else was protecting us from how hard and heavy life can be. And we tend to look back and go, oh, if I could only go back. It really wasn't that easy because someone was protecting me. Someone was protecting you. Regardless of what year, for you, the good old days were. It goes back to a time when someone else was probably taking all the hits for you. And Solomon's saying, be present today. And we got too many people that are living in the past. We talked about that last, last week, that it will not sustain you. The good old days will not sustain you, and they probably weren't that good anyway when you start breaking it down. And so he's saying, live today. Be present today. And takes a sip of his tea and just keeps going. It says, wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. 
and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. What Solomon is saying here is you can have wealth without wisdom and you can have wisdom without wealth. Just because you're wise doesn't mean you're, you're, you're wealthy. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're wise. I mean, it's not, it's not healthy, wealthy, and wise. They don't always go together. Now, I, I understand that money is needed. Hey, we have a saying in my house, we got to get some more money up in here. You know, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even need to log into the bank account to know that it's just going to be red, you know? And you're like, Heather, we have more month than money, honey. Stop spending. Just put it on the credit card. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, nay, nay, I say. And, and sometimes the answer is, yeah, we got to get some more money up in here. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes more money isn't always the answer. Most of the time, it's, God, give me some wisdom to use what money you've given me in the best way possible. I, I think wisdom is more important than money. Because you can have all kinds of money, but if you don't have the wisdom to use it, you, you think about lotto winners that end up broke. So I'm praying for wisdom, you know, and a lotto ticket, right? Wisdom will preserve the life. Money may buy the medicines, but wisdom can actually preserve the life. I would say if you're praying for money, stop. Pray for wisdom. Because sometimes it's God giving you a fresh look at what you've already got to be able to better manage and be a better steward of what's already there. And then he just kind of takes a little bit of a break here. He says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. This, this is something that, that I hear a lot of people, and, and I can't argue this. They, their, their question of God is, I question the existence of God because of so much brokenness in the world or so much hurt or so much pain. Fill in the blank. And, and I can't answer for God. And, and honestly, God's big enough to answer for himself. What Solomon is saying is life is crooked. Life is broken. We're born into a broken system. I mean, since Genesis 3, when the fall occurs, we're, it's a broken system. And sin rules in the world. We all deal with sin. We're all, we're all broken with sin. It just comes out in different ways. But we all wrestle with a sin nature. And we try to fix what's crooked. We spend so much time and energy trying to fix what's broken and crooked. And Solomon is saying, listen, it, let God be God. Stop trying to fix all the external things in your life and let God work internally in what really needs to be repaired. You don't have to clean yourself up before you can have a relationship with God. Let God be God. We all bring the same broken mess to the table. Or let me say it this way. We all bring the same broken mess to the cross. And it was there that while we were still broken, before we were born into a broken system, he said, I'm willing to take that sacrifice because this is crooked. What God created and made straight through the fall was broken and made crooked, and he can make it right again. And Solomon is saying, 
Stop spending so much energy trying to fix everybody else. The Apostle Paul said, if we'll just judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to be judged. Let me help you with what that means. I got my hands full with me. I know every week, some of you sit in this room and you go, you know, I know who should have heard that message this week. I don't preach to people who aren't here unless they're listening on podcast. God's got you in this room. What's God going to say to you? I know, I get it, because I'm preparing the messages, and I don't preach at people, okay? I just preach the truth, but I'll be preparing, and I'm like, I know what this family is going through, and God, I really hope they're here to hear this. It's heartbreaking when you don't see them, because you're like, this truth, this truth can set them free. But they won't hear it. Well, maybe they'll hear it on the podcast, but they don't ever hear it. What I have to do is preach the truth of the scripture because when I stand before God, it's not going to be how did I teach you, it's how did I preach the truth of this word. And I'm going to be much more diligent so that when I stand before him, go, God, I may have upset people. I may have, people didn't hear what I said, but I taught and spoke the truth of your word. And if I was wrong in that, then I'm sorry. I'm going to let God be God. I can't fix the crookedness. He says, how can it be? When times are good, enjoy it. When times are bad, consider that God gives us the rain and the sun. Season, time for dancing and a time for mourning. God's in control of it all. He's sovereign. He's key. He's got it. And I got to let him. And then he kind of goes back into his wisdom here. Goes into verse uh, 16. Do not be over-righteous. Neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will, and you might want to underline this, avoid all extremes. What he's saying is don't be extreme. Our culture, we like to play, I call it the polarity game. It's got to be all the way on this side or all the way on this side. And then we spend all of our time and entertaining ourselves, fighting with the other side. Like, no, you gotta, you gotta pick a side on this. And you name it, man, just name it. You can fill in the blank. Politics, theology, religion, parenting, relationships, marriage, where you shop, Taco Bell, Taco Bueno. You know, you, you just go for it. I mean, it, it, you polarize, we, we polarize things and then we, we fight with the other side. He's saying avoid those extremes. Or he's saying life is lived in the balance. And I think that when we understand this balance, we begin to really understand that that's where more life gets accomplished because we're not so focused on protecting our extreme. The only thing that I think we should be extreme in is whether we're hot or cold for Jesus. He's like, if, if, if you're hot, it's good. If you're cold, I'm good with that. If you're like, you know what, God, not for me. I'm out. I've examined the truth. I'm out. He's like, all right. If you're lukewarm, play around with it. He says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. 
I think that's the only time we need to be the extreme. But let me caution you. Being hot for Jesus doesn't mean you're a crazy puppy Christian. Let me explain what that means. I've met, you meet those people, they're like, I'm still on fire for God. Yeah, you know, and you're like, dude, chill, all right? We need some medication for this fool. And, and, and my spiritual gift of sarcasm starts kicking in. I'm like, I wonder how long it's going to be before they crash and burn and they walk away from God. We've got this puppy in our house, and, and he's, he's crazy. He, I love him to death. He's a rat. I, I, he, I prefer larger dogs, but they talk me into him, and he is cute. He's got this funky smile with his underbite, and... He, he, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where he's not so ugly, he's cute. I don't think there's a dog that's made that way. They're either so ugly, they are ugly, or, you know, they're, 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 he's cute, okay? He's cute. I'm strong enough for my man who's, I got a cute dog. But every night when we're trying to watch TV, okay, this dog will sleep all day in my office. And then at night when we're trying to relax and watch TV as a family, that's his time, boy. <laughs> and he gets this look in his eyes. And, and he just kind of looks at you and starts growling. And you're like, what, uh, you all right, boy? And then he just goes, psycho. We call it turbo dog. I mean, he is flying around the house. I mean, he'll, he'll get a launch and he'll hit the cushion of the couch and hit the back and go flying, and then he'll, he'll just keep going. And, and we laugh. It's our nightly entertainment. We're like, this is funny, you know? And we're like, hopefully he's going to hit a wall. The, I, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I bought a laser pointer, and, oh, oh, I, I killed a laser pointer with batteries because that dog wouldn't stop. But he hits this point when he finally does stop. His, his final pass, he lines it up perfectly as though a pilot coming into a runway. And he gets a couple hops and hits the cushion of the couch and lands perfectly square on the back of the couch. And he's like, oh. And he just sits there. He's like, I can't do anymore. I can't move. And he's like, boom. <laughs> I think that's the way we can get when we're puppy Christians you know, we're trying to run around and save everybody in our office. We're trying to go meet our neighbors. I just want to talk to you. Do you know Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior? If not, I can help you with that today. And they're like, um, you go to the cubicle next to you. Hey, I just want to talk to you about church. You know, do you know Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior? Because I just gave my life to him. It's the best thing ever happened. And they're like, click, you know, I'm on a conference call. See ya. you. you. You know what I'm talking about. And then what happens is you're like, well, God, you're not playing like me. I, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. Let's save the world. I'm ready to do this. And God's like, I already did everything possible. Calm down. Go back to what Solomon said. Sometimes a long haul is better than a shortcut. And if you try to shortcut people to Jesus, you're going to shortcut Jesus. You're going to end up selling a product that Jesus like, that's not me. So avoid those extremes. We're going to get to verse 19 and 20 next week, and then he closes out with this. He says, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times 
you yourself have cursed others. What he's saying is, don't be oversensitive. I, just the way humanity is, we're willing to sit and talk about somebody else when they're not in the room. But then if we find out they've been talking about us, oh, I can't believe they're... T- We've all been there, all right? I'm not alone in this. Saying don't be oversensitive. That's the problem with the polarity game, by the way. When you want to make everything a polar opposite and start fighting, we become very overly sensitive to the other side's critique of us or our critique of them. Just going to the whole Chick-fil-A thing. You go, it's an election year. You go into any politics... And I get asked this, what's my political view? What is our church's stance on politics? We're not going to go there. Because here's my view. Jesus doesn't pick sides. He takes over. And my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the, the cross. My hope is not tied to one man's platform for a campaign for making promises. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. My hope is in Jesus. Now, I pray for the leaders of our nation. I pray for our country. But my hope is not in anything in this world. And when we start doing that, when we start putting our hope in that, we become so sensitive to everything. We're like, well, that person offended me or that company offended me. I'm not going to shop there. I'm not going to do this. And we spend our life bouncing from offense to offense because we're going polarity to polarity and we're, we're too extreme, we're too sensitive, and we end up offended all the time. And what happens is we bring that junk into church and we think the church should be at the spearhead to go fight the, the, the offenses that we feel personally. My commitment when we launch the church is we're going to preach the truth of Scripture. Let's live aligned with the truth of Scripture. Go eat your chicken sandwich. Go shop on them. I don't... Let's stop making fights about all of this stuff, all right? And I love that about our church because we're not a political church and we haven't gotten in. That's my rant. I need to go on. So don't be oversensitive. Man, Jesus is on the throne. And Solomon is sitting in this rocking chair, and I think in this moment he just kind of reflects, like, I'm going to go take a nap now. And so our choice, our option in this moment is to begin to digest this or go, that was a good talk. That's good advice. Here's the reality and the tragedy is a lot of us come across great wisdom and advice but do nothing with it. And we find ourselves in a situation in life where it is difficult, where we're hurting. And then this wisdom comes to mind and we're like, oh yeah, why didn't I, why didn't I listen to that? There's so many things I wish that I would have listened to. Like I said this earlier, the older I get, the smarter my parents and there's some things I wish I would have listened to when I was 20. There's some things I wish I would have listened to earlier than that. But it was, that's good advice. I'll take that into consideration. And some of you are like, how, how do you get to this? How do you operate with this wisdom? Uh, James 1 says this, that if you lack wisdom, ask this isn't something God wants to keep hidden from us and say, oh, I'll hold it. God says, ask me for it. 
But when you ask, believe me, don't doubt me. Otherwise, you're going to be a double-minded man. You're going to second-guess everything in life. Well, should I have taken the shortcut? Well, should I be overly sensitive about this? Why can't I just react here instead of think about the proper way to respond? Ask for the wisdom. And here's what I've learned. And here's what the truth of Scripture is. The only way we can approach God as our Father and ask for this wisdom is to have a relationship with Him where God is our Father. And that only happens through the cross. That only happens through Jesus. So my hope is this, that that you engage in a relationship with a healthy father that's full of wisdom who longs to give that to us. And that you actually use the wisdom that he gives you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time today to kind of just gather around the rocking chair to hear the wisdom in your word, the wisdom of Solomon. We know it's your wisdom. You gave it to him. And Father, we thank you for that. Thank you that this wisdom is timeless truth for us today. And God, I know that every one of us in this room are at different places We're dealing with different things relationally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, physically. But we ask right now that you you enter into exactly where we are. And we're so grateful that you meet us where we are, that we don't have to fix ourselves for you to meet with us. But you said, I'm I'm, I'm here, just, just come. So Father, I ask that right now that Uh, you help us all to know you as Father. (laughs) That we understand and and we realize that that we're born into a broken system. There is crookedness and wickedness all around us. And God, even in that brokenness, we can call out to you for restoration and for reconciliation. And I pray that you would give us the courage to say... Father, take take this crooked stick and make a straight line. And Father, I ask that you give us wisdom. I, I pray that you don't just give one of us wisdom so that we listen to the other person. Give us all wisdom and give us the courage to implement it and live it out. Give us the diligence to be able to follow you Lord, we love you. And as we're reminded through the the wisdom of Solomon that that our lives are brief, that that we do need to consider this life that we're living, I pray that we live it to your glory. And we live it in a way that when we do stand before you, we will hear, well done. Good job. Would you help us to do that? Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.